1: lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics and now here's michael cargill
2: good day austin texas the live music capital of the world let's praise the lord and pass the ammunition all right so please whatever you do this weekend do not say happy memorial day we need to remember what memorial day actually really means Uh, we're talking about remembering those people that have given the ultimate sacrifice, uh, some things that maybe some people could not do, some people did not want to do or or you know, did not have the opportunity to do. And there are so many people that are dying to come to this country because this is a wonderful country that we have. It's a beautiful country. Uh, this is a beautiful state, and people want to be here. And we need to be grateful and thankful for what we have because those people that actually came before us, Gave that ultimate sacrifice, and that is what Memorial Day is about: is remembering those that have given their life for our freedom and what we have here today. And so, while you're out barbecuing, you're having a great time. You're out on the lake in uh, just enjoying this beautiful sun. Uh, it's it's going to be 105 all week for the most part. You know, between 100 and 105. And so, I hope you just remember that and what Memorial Day really means while you're barbecuing and, and having a great time. Because there's a reason why we have the freedoms and everything that we have here today. Right, so. Now also, I want to talk about school safety today. Uh, school safety is it's really important. And before I get into school safety, I do want to have a drink to those that have gone before us and given that ultimate sacrifice. You know, so uh, here's to those people that have passed along before us. We have a lot of people we lost in Afghanistan, Iraq, and all wars before that. That have done, you know, those things that some of us could not do, did not want to do and paid that ultimate sacrifice. So here's to those people um, that have given their life so we can have the freedoms that we have here today. That's why we love America. All right. So now let's talk school safety. Uh, school safety, it's it's a topic that is on everyone's mind this week um, In the last few weeks, because of the different shootings that we've had, and some people are trying to politicize it a little bit, but we need to discuss some of the things that, you know, we, the steps we need to take to make sure that we can protect our loved ones, those, the kids in the schools, and it's just everywhere, really, not just schools, and there are a lot of different things that we can do to do that, and we're going to talk about that today, also the governor had his round table our discussion uh, on several days, and he talked about several several issues came out of that. And apparently there are 22 ideas that the governor has uh, to stopping school shootings. Going to talk about that. Also going to have um, a couple people call in to tell us, you know, their thoughts on, you know, what we should do as it, as it pertains to school shootings. Uh, so let me go around the room first and, you know, ask everyone else, you know, I'll, I'll start here. If You can tell me, you know, just... Just tell people your your name, and first start about Memorial
3: Day. Okay, uh, I'm Eric Guerra. I'm the chair of the Travis County Libertarian Party. Uh, Memorial Day is always, uh, you know, a day for. It's kind of interesting within the Libertarian Party and the Liberty Movement because there is uh, such a um, animosity towards uh, being involved in so many foreign wars and um, the loss of life that is occurring uh, both of American um, soldiers and then of civilians in those other countries. So uh, what I always try to say whenever Memorial Day comes up to uh, people within my county and within the party is um, we have all of the year to argue about whether or not we're justified in being in the wars that we're in, and we have all year long to talk about ways in which we could change our foreign policy to not be involved in these kind of things. But uh, just try to remember that there's people out there who have loved ones that gave their life uh, you know, in service of our country, and this is a very important day for them, and it's a very emotional day for them. And try to be respectful of that to other people, and uh, to not make it about you or uh, what politics or policies you want to see, and just respect the day and what it represents, and um, you know what it what those people have done uh, for the country and, and the sacrifice that they made. So that's kind of the main thing I try to say: is put the politics aside and just you know take the day for what it was uh, what it was created for. I like that. I like that.
4: I'm Ryan Simpson, um, I'd also like to just add that we do have Memorial Day is also for all those veterans that passed away as well. So it's all those who are really no longer with us, who have fought for our freedom and gave everything they had because we don't really take the time to pause enough. I mean, I've got family that you know I probably don't think about them enough, and it's going to be sad some of them are forgotten someday, and I want to take the time to make sure they're remembered as well. Okay. All right. Yeah, absolutely.
5: I'm Rachel Malone, um, and many of y'all know me as a firearms activist through Texas Firearms Freedom for many years. Um, It's a pleasure to be back, so thank you, Mike, for that. Absolutely. Um, And so on Memorial Day, as you mentioned, there are so many who have fought for our freedom and because they love what America stands for. I I have many ancestors, many relatives who have fought overseas. Um, All of my relatives have made it back home safely. But many did not. And I can't think of any better way to honor the people who fought for our freedom than to value our freedom enough to live for it and to fight for it in our actions every day so that we keep that in a peaceful manner. I I can't think of any better way to honor them throughout the year as well as remembering them on this day. And I hope that we do keep that mindset of
6: honoring freedom.
2: Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely.
6: I'm Janai Hales, and I'm a business owner in Austin. Um, I think they all summed it up. Probably, uh, I don't know that I have much more to add to it. Um, but Memorial Day, I would say, is the same for me. It's a day to kind of relax and reflect, spend time with those that you care for, and um, you know, put politics aside like they've already said, and just um, enjoy the freedoms that you have that someone else sacrificed uh, on your behalf.
2: And, and Janai, you have, you know, you have a lot going on right now.
6: Mm-hmm. Want to talk yes, about I that do. a little bit? Um, sure. Um, so I've had some serious, this seems like it's too loud. Yeah. I've had some serious health issues, not knowing what was wrong with me. Um, I've been to multiple doctors. Uh, I'm, I'm on my fifth and I believe my last doctor. And it's, I've come to find out that um, I have a very, this is a, a problem that's very common to women of all ages, as I've learned. I have a very, very large cyst on my ovary and a very large fibroid on my uterus. And I, I'm happy to talk about it because I've come to find out that, um, one, health care for women is not where it needs to be. Um, too many uh, women are not being given all their, the alternatives that are out there for them. Uh, they're only offered a complete hysterectomy. Mm. Um, even before I, I was, it was completely known as to what was wrong with me. I had doctors trying to tell me that I needed a complete hysterectomy, and and being pre med and no, that doesn't make me a doctor, but I have you know some uh, knowledge of. Uh, anatomy and physiology, I've never wanted that. And I've known many women that have had that and regretted it. Um, so uh, I've, uh, that's one of the reasons I've been through so many doctors. It, it, it's, it's amazing to me how I've literally had doctors say to me that they wouldn't uh, give me an alternative prece- uh, treatment because of my age and I wasn't going to have any more children. And, quote, unquote, they said, you don't need those organs anymore. Mm. And I, hopefully I won't get in trouble for saying this on air, but I I literally looked at one doctor and I I said, no, um, it's kind of like your balls. You'd Mm. like to keep your hysterectomy, but it's been a very frustrating process because we're not given all the alternatives. There's a wonderful, wonderful treatment. This company is actually based out of Austin right now. And there's a gentleman, Nick Schneider, and um, the CEO is Ryan. I can't recall his last name right now, but it's called Assessa procedure. And I'm trying to get the word out to women as much as possible because nobody tells you about this procedure. It's non-invasive. You literally can go in one day and you're not cut, small incision. They ablate or remove any—it's for fibroids only, and you can go work out, like, within a few days.
2: And I wish people knew, like, where this came from. Is it, you know—I always wonder when I'm at the gun range and I'm, I'm inhaling, you know, the, the, the smoke or the fumes or whatever's coming out, of, like the gunpowder and stuff like that. I'm wondering, you know, if the—it's the water that I drink, the fluoride in the water— you know, yeah, I was, well, I was wanting that stuff.
6: As I've been reading, like the the number one reason um, women get uh, these huge cysts is is too much estrogen production, and that's what's causing it.
4: And let's be real, that's not a women only problem. It's exactly. just expressed differently in men through low testosterone. Yes, all the symptoms that come with that.
6: Um, that's true. But this procedure assess a procedure. This company is based out of Austin. These guys, even though I'm not going to end up getting that procedure, they have gone above and beyond. They've helped me find a doctor. They, they've, I mean, done so many things, research things for me. I've met with them. They've, they've been absolutely fantastic. And the doctor I'm going to see that is going to end up doing my surgery on July 11th um, uh, is was through them. And and what I another thing that I find. Um, and just just the stress
2: of knowing that you have to go to the doctor and have this procedure, that stress alone, you
6: know. Well, what what yes, but on top of that, you know, there's many cancers that they diagnose prior to you getting surgery. Then you go into the surgery, and you know exactly what you have for ovarian cancer, which I could possibly have, and I'm I think it's a very small chance, but that's why an oncologist has to do the surgery. I literally will go into surgery not knowing if I have cancer until I wake up. Mm. And my surgery, I'm told, will be anywhere from two hours to 14 hours. And I won't know whether they've taken everything out of me Mm. or very little out of me. And, you know, like my ex-husband had prostate cancer. The prostate is the size of a walnut. A woman's ovary is the size of an almond. Okay, so they're very small, both of them. Right, right. My my ex husband knew going into surgery that he had prostate cancer. Think about it. The many cancers they know they're able to, d- to determine. I'm I have to go in, and many women do not knowing whether or not we have cancer or not. I'm going to yeah. literally wake up and say what time is it, and that'll give me an idea of what happened. Mm. Um, that's probably the most frustrating part of this is, and now I have to wait another six weeks having no idea. What the outcome is going
2: to be? Wow, wow, yeah. We're we're gonna talk about. Um, we're gonna change gears when we come back from the break. Because um, that, man, that's a that's a definitely a troubling, you know, thing to actually experience. My my hats off to you. Uh, cancer is no joke. My grandmother uh, died of cancer, so that's kind of why I want you to tell that story. And this is something that affects everyone, and it affects everyone goes through everyone, this. And- yeah.
6: Women of all ages are getting these cysts and fibroids. Women of, it's the number one cause of infertility. Right. And, and that's
2: usually why I, use, I lose the majority of the women in my family is because of cancer. Yeah. So that's why that's, you know, it's, it's something we need to talk about and think about and, and figure out, um, you, know, you know, what is, you know, what's happening? What is the cause of this? And, um, and that's a beautiful story from Janai.
5: Yes, and Janai, I just want to say thank you for talking about it and sharing with us what you're going through and recognizing that it's not just you and you can yeah. be
6: helpful. Thank you. And one thing I do want that I've, I want to point out to women, um, whenever a woman gets her routine um, physical, a pap smear, as everybody knows the term, I've come to find out. Um, they'll do the testing and they'll they'll say you're you're okay. The only way they can determine if you have a cyst or a fibroid is if they do a vaginal ultrasound. And I've been asking every doctor I run across, why are we not doing va- vaginal ultrasound? An ultrasound is what they use to you know to show the baby. You know, so so a vaginal is basically this they insert it in you. That's the only way they can determine. And the problem of the reason one of the reasons that a lot of women die from ovarian cancer is they don't catch it till stage four, mm. which you basically only have a five-year at most um, time. Mm. If I, want, I don't understand why. For, they have the ultrasound machine in their office. Why isn't vaginal ultrasound done for every woman that goes in annually for a pap smear? The only time a woman knows she has a sister or fibroid is when you're like me where you nothing was going on. You were going about your life. And then one day you get excruciating pain, go to the ER, and they do all kinds of tests and tell you you have this mass. I have a mass the size of a small football. It took so many years for that to grow, but I get an annual pap smear. So why are these doctors not doing that, even if it costs more? Do the vaginal ultrasound. And I. so I'm trying to tell women everywhere, mm. when you go get your pap smear, tell the doctor to give you a vaginal ultrasound. It's not going to harm you. It's not going to do anything to you. But they will catch that fibroid. They will catch that cyst before it becomes cancer, before it becomes so big that they can't do anything with it.
2: And the reason we're talking about this stuff, there's so many different things that go on with people throughout their lives that affect them throughout the day. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talkin'.
7: This is State Representative Jonathan Sticklin, and you are listening to Come and Talk It on Talk 1370. Listen to Talk 1370 anytime, anywhere on the radio.com app.
1: oh. oh. Mm-hmm. I know. A place. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All
2: right. So let's get into talking about school safety. Uh, so this this month we had a, another tragedy, a school shooting that happened right here in Texas. And so the governor decided that Governor Abbott decided that he was going to have a roundtable to discuss uh, some of the issues of you know what should be done and just listen to, I guess, a lot of different voices out there. And a lot of people, some people are upset because they don't feel that their voice was heard or they're they're not part of the discussion. And and Texas Gun Rights actually put out a statement. But first, the governor, you know, said, you know, prior to doing this roundtable, he said, we need to do more than just to pray for the victims and their families. Uh, We need to begin to work immediately on swift solutions to prevent tragedies like these from ever happening again. And so he had a roundtable discussion this week lasted a couple days and so we really need to get into talking about school safety and what are we actually going to do uh do we need to add more laws uh, any more new laws that we already have uh will new laws actually change or prevent what actually happened a lot of people are talking about penal code section 46.13 which is a section that talks about you know allowing or kids not having access to firearms uh, should we raise the aid limit age limit to 46.13 so let me go to the phone lines first. Uh, uh, Carrie McKinnon, you're on with Come and it. How you doing, sir? Line one.
7: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Michael. Um, let me start by saying that um, I am saddened about the loss of so many young lives at um, Santa Fe High School and across the, um, the country and offer my condolences for their family and friends of those impacted. And, you know, my heart, like all Texans, hurts at the thought of all the pain of the students of those Santa Fe high schoolers that are processing as they mourn the loss of their classmates. What we need to do, what we all need to do is work together to effect a cultural shift, which embraces non-aggression and therefore making not only our schools, but all of our lives safer. Um, and I encourage governor Abbott and Lieutenant governor Patrick, Patrick, as well as all legislators, that when they have meetings to discuss important issues like this, that, they include all Texans, not just the elite or the ones that are gaining favor uh, with them at that point. But they include libertarians, parents, teachers, gun owners, and especially students.
2: Yeah, because the one thing that that concerns me, Carrie, is the fact that you know Florida. I never thought in a million years Florida would actually actually come up with gun control laws because Florida actually competed with you know Alabama, Georgia. So, you know, we all were shocked about what came out of Florida. And so I'm hoping that that does not happen here in Texas. And I'm actually very grateful that the Texas legislature was not in session while this is going on. And I hope next year when they do go in session, nothing happens because if it does, it's going to affect our gun laws.
7: That's that's quite right. And sadly, what, what ends up happening is when we have tragedies like this, uh we don't really take everything into consideration and look for um, actual real solutions that could make um, everyone, but especially our children, safer. We start thinking in terms of limitations and regulations and um, changing to banning um, guns and things like that. And I think that if we if we really want to to do something that is going to make that happen. We have to change some of our the way that we talk about um, aggression, the way we talk about guns, the way we talk about mental health in our state, in our country, and we have to change the fact that maybe we need to talk about gun safety in schools, and we, we need to find actual real solutions. But when you just have those that are in power, those that seek regu- um, re-election, um, sitting in a in office in Austin and they're just listening at the one moment of that sound bite. Okay, to so now, now I'm
2: gonna I'm gonna push you on this a little bit because you're running for lieutenant governor on the libertarian ticket. So True. so Carrie, let me ask you this. You know, if you were in office, what would you do, you know, or what would you suggest at this juncture?
7: Well I would suggest that that we definitely don't make any laws that are, are limiting our uh, rights that we have. I think that when we do that, that not only, um, doesn't make anyone safer, it really just, uh, creates a whole nother black market, a whole nother, uh, criminal class that we don't need to have in the state of Texas. So we won't start out, I wouldn't start out with having a, um, any gun laws changing that are, that are banning things or that are, um, creating more limitations because, you know, I'm, I want us to pass constitutional open carry. So, and that, that's making guns, the gun laws a little bit more um, in terms of liberty. I think we can really look at some of our mental health issues that we have and discuss that with professionals and see if we can come up with some legislation that um, will help with that. We can talk about bringing gun safety back into our schools so that um, that is an issue um, that's we don't have to worry about um, people being scared and when they see guns. They see it as an act of aggression.
2: All right, so what I'm hearing, what, I'm, what I think I'm hearing you say is we really need to be on the offensive instead of the defensive. So instead of you know, being on the defense and saying, OK, we're going to make sure that uh, no new gun control laws go into effect here in the state of Texas, because as goes Texas, goes the rest of the country. And we need Correct. to realize that, you know, if, if Texas does anything, the rest of the country will follow, will follow. And that's important to to remember. So we need to be on the offensive. So let me go. Hold on, Carrie. Let me go to um, um, Rachel Malone, who's with Texas Firearms Freedom, and ask you, you know, you know, what what should we do?
5: Well, yes, to the end of what you were discussing, I am glad that I'm hearing statements from people in Texas that are very different um, from the responses in Florida. And the statements I'm hearing are, yes, it was a tragedy. It was traumatic. It was horrible to watch fellow classmates get gunned down. But banning guns or putting a metal detector is not the correct response, and that would not help. Instead, giving people tools where they can fight back is more of an answer. And I think I think that goes back to several things. One of them is mindset. We saw in Indiana an unarmed teacher fought back successfully and saved lives. And I, I he did not have the proper tools to enable him to do so super effectively. But you know what? He used what he had, and he had the mindset of I'm not going to sit here helplessly watching people vulnerable get shot. I'm going to do something about it. And that mindset, I believe, is what the gun community has. And that's why they want to keep and bear arms, because they want to have the tools necessary to defend themselves. They already have the mindset of defense. And I think a lot of the reason that people not in the gun community who didn't grow up around guns might have a problem with gun ownership or might easily say, well, maybe we should enact some laws is because they don't have that same attitude of, of defense and of, you know, my life is precious, your life is precious, and I want to defend it. It's my responsibility and at least give me a fighting chance to save my own life.
2: Because it's already illegal to kill someone. Right. It's, it's already illegal to take a gun into yes. a school. <laughs> so,
5: so, assault is illegal. Murder is illegal. Right. You can't ban it any more than it's already banned.
2: So how many more new laws can we come up with? So, so let's talk about mental health. Let me go to Ryan um,
4: because is that an issue? You oh, know? mental health is huge. Um, so those of you who don't know my story recently, I've been recently diagnosed with bipolar type 1. It's the more severe version of it. And throughout this, I've been having to adjust to different medicines, try out new things. and well, you Let's if- back up, though. How did you get to that point? Family ignoring it, um, myself ignoring it. Um, it was one of those I didn't even feel like I could really talk about it. So, yeah. Fam- Can
6: I ask what were the? <coughs> geez, what were the symptoms?
4: So, the worst symptoms finally just came when it was just I was being so impulsive I couldn't even control myself at times, um, and I got to the point this right side of my face was twitching. I was in a meeting. I had to have Eric next to me, and I was like, Eric, I need you to talk right now because. I'm giving like a seizure on the side of my face essentially because my nervous system was firing so fast. Did you feel like you wanted face. to do harm to yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So, and you know, I know there's different symptoms it can express in different ways in different people. You know, I'd have my upswings, my downswings. And luckily I've had friends, family who finally realized I had enough of a problem that I needed to get help. So uh, through this process though, I've had to try out different medicines. My most recent experience, this is only in the past couple weeks was I decided to try a psychotropic to finally actually level, fully level out because I'd been on one just to deal with the convulsive side. And this is now to finally actually deal with the deeper-rooted symptoms of it. And so I had to first use Abilify. I know people have probably heard the name of the prescription before. I had negative side effects. I knew I was probably going to have negative side effects. My psychiatrist, she knew I was probably going to have negative side effects. But she had to put me on it just to be able to put myself on the medicine that she wanted to put me on in the first place due to insurance. So maybe our problems, we're not even looking in the right place. Maybe insurance is our first place we should be looking when we're talking about mental health and actually getting people the proper care they need. I
6: think that's the problem in a lot of cases, not just mental health. Yes. Have you tried
4: cannabis? Someone asked online. I have. It has not helped. There's this is a type one bipolar is very severe. I mean, there's people who have run off and blown their life savings on uh, gambling in Vegas because of a manic episode. So
6: when they say, so you've tried the CBD oil?
4: I have, um, and I've just, I've tried different things, but it's one of those right now that I'm in the early phases. I want to make sure I'm properly leveled out instead of going and trying a million different things. I want to work with my psychiatrist and get this nailed down.
6: Because I tried the CBD oil for my issues. I'm not saying it's shrinking anything, but I can tell, I test one of the things that I've noticed Hands down, I, I get. I, I'm not using the CBD oil with any THC, but so it's there's no THC. I, but I have gotten the best sleep well, I've I, ever gotten in my life, and consistently. I wanna,
4: and I want to be clear: I'm not going to try anything that is illegal right now. Exactly. Because,
6: that's why I didn't want to do the THC.
4: Because uh, right now, CBD because is CBD, only legal. CBD is not illegal.
6: If it doesn't have THC, okay. it's not illegal. But for medical
4: purposes, which and I would need a prescription controlled CBD. To make sure I'm leveled out because this is a, it is a cognitive, it is a mood disorder and it has to do with my brain chemistry. Yeah. So mm-hmm. to do this properly, I would need that. And that is not legal yet in Texas for other than a few minor th- things it, here it's,
6: it's legal all across the country if it doesn't have THC.
4: But I've for completely... medically structured and to do trials and testing and see how it works, no.
6: No, but like I, what I'm buying is legal. and. Yes. And it's gotten rid of all my anxiety and it's it's certainly allowed me to sleep better than I've ever slept in my life consist- on a consistent basis. Yeah. And
4: I'm not saying it won't help. I mean, I've seen the studies. I've seen the UK studies that, yes, CBD will probably help bipolar. It's just one of those, I'm not doing that
6: right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I wouldn't um, – I've heard people say it helps with tumors. I wouldn't forego my surgery waiting for the CBD oil. Sometimes you just have to – if it's that serious, you don't have time to yes. wait. Until see how something you know works out, so to speak. You have and, to go with the, the And when
4: it's a priority, take care of it. That's yes. how everyone should be. If you have a priority, take care of it. When you have the time, that's when you try the alternatives and do everything else you can.
2: Now you said that you know your your family ignored the fact that there was something wrong.
4: Yeah, they didn't. They didn't want to think there was a problem. Is the best way I can describe it. So uh, they went, didn't want to admit there was an issue going on there. Yes. So you know, I was the perfect little child, and that's what they wanted to go with. Then. So they kind
2: of they kind of <laughs> sensed maybe something was going on, something was wrong, but didn't really take the steps to figure out what it was. Yes. Okay. And and that could lead to other things.
5: So so I'm wondering what what do you wish your family without without casting blame on anybody, what what could your family maybe have done that would have been helpful?
4: It would have, the primary thing would have just one to make it feel like it was okay for me to come up and go, "Oh, there's a problem. I actually think there might be a problem and it's okay to say I might have a mental illness or, you know, a mood disorder or this, that or the other because it didn't feel like that. And I guarantee you there's a lot of people out there. There's also probably people that they just, their family completely ignores it or they actually go to ask for help and they're like, no, you're fine. Just deal with it.
6: I think mental health is not looked at the way it needs to be still in in, in this in many countries, but I can only attest for this one. I, I can say for me, I've never had any major issues but uh, when I was going through my divorce, just to give you an example of how people view mental health, when I was going through my divorce, I took, um, I think it was clonazepam for one month an anti-anxiety. One month, literally one month. That was the only time in my entire life I got a prescription for something like that. Fast forward, um, less than a year later, I went to renew my life insurance policy. And do you know I was denied by that company because I took that for one month an anti-anxiety
4: Mm. Well, and we, there's this whole other side to mental health that people ignore that if you've got something wrong physically, sometimes it's just a sign you have something wrong mentally because there's so many symptoms that are psychosomatic. Um, and if you just want evidence for it, why do we have to control with the, for the placebo effect in every single medical trial?
2: All right. So we're talking about mental health. We're talking about school shootings. Um, you know, it, a lot of this is, is family. And family, it takes a village to raise You know, in an entire community So all this comes into play And we're talking about school shootings We're talking about school safety That's why we're talking about this This is Michael Cargill And you are listening to Come and Talk It
7: Peace, this is Maj Ture You're listening to Come and Talk It Radio With Michael Cargill
1: Talk thirteen seventy, the right choice.
3: When I was a little boy,
1: Welcome back to Come and Talk It, and now here's Michael Cargill. All
2: right, so we're talking school shootings, we're talking school safety. Now, Mississippi Flush uh, says online the schools themselves are big. They're too big, inviting soft targets and decentralized, maybe privatized, maybe even downsize the schools should be a solution to school safety. He says maybe vouchers of school choice would go a long way toward making all schools more manageable. Um, so I, I don't know. You know, you tell me, you know, what, what are your thoughts?
5: Well, first of all, I, I think it's important to understand, which I'm sure the commenter does, that that preventing a school shooting is impossible. Because we live in a world where there is evil and it will always exist, and people who wish to do us harm will always try to do us harm no matter what tools they have available to them or don't, um, no matter what laws. So that's that's always going to be there, and what we need to do is try to mitigate and minimize and stop as soon as we can, and I, that's where solutions come in. But I mean, as far as a large public school, yes, I think that that is – by definition what what most of our large schools are that's not a very safe place it doesn't invite a lot of safety um and something that that i've been fortunate to i've been fortunate to be in circles where a lot of parents have the ability to either homeschool their kids or put them in there's so many options in austin so many options all over now of different things different choices besides a public school and i think some of those honestly may be safer all
2: right so um you know, and I noticed that and I, I did a little research that wherever you, we have metal detectors in inner cities, you know, you don't have school shootings in those places. And a lot of people don't like metal detectors and, and, and that sort, but you don't have school shootings there. And so where you have security, you don't have school shootings. Now, what is disturbing to me is the elementary schools and middle schools, because usually you have a school resource officer at the high school that's tasked at that particular school but only one only one officer you know you're talking about one officer out of you know 1,500 2,000 kids and so that's not enough and so when you have an independent school district police department you know maybe we need more officers that
5: are present yeah and I hear so much conversation about we need to arm the teachers or we need more security and and while either of those could be a solution that would help, I think the better and more cost effective and just the, the more effective solution is to allow those who would like to carry, who do carry every day around children, just not in a school, to be able to carry their their personal firearms um, in a school setting.
2: Mm. And then, you know, and I'm, a, I'm actually a private security instructor and with security we we teach that just the mere fact of seeing a security officer actually deters crime so when you see someone that's there that's ha- that has that security uniform that actually you know crime tends to go down by having that person there with a uniform and a gun crime will go down and and i i do agree with you also people that carry all the time that are already carrying now why not let those same people carry we're not we're not talking about forcing teachers to carry I don't want to force teachers to carry. I don't want teachers to carry uh, unless they want to carry. That's part of their, you know, everyday
4: thing that they do. It it becomes natural to them. And if people are terrified of it, you know, you could have a little extra rigor on the course that teachers have to take to be able to carry in schools just to make sure that they're not completely crazy.
2: And I'm actually a school safety instructor as well, um, where... There is something else that we do add to it if you're going to be a teacher that actually carries in the school. We do add a little more i mean it's like two hundred two hundred rounds you actually have to fire at the gun range uh to be a school safety uh, a person that's actually going to carry inside of a school so i mean there is something a little more that we add to that and add a little more pressure to it as well, so that you know they're a little more prepared because it you know someone walks into that room starts shooting. The last thing you want to do is, you know, try to look around and see what you can throw at them. You know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be in that position.
4: I also think it's weird that if the peop- the perpetrators are students, why do we put them through the drills and show them exactly where their targets are going to be? <laughs> it's just always seemed a little weird to me.
5: Uh, yes, yes, agreed. And some of the solutions that, that I've heard presented in various states have also raised similar questions of, aren't we herding people into areas that, make it easier for them to, to be attacked. Yeah. So, so I, before I had the job I have now, I used to uh, work, do contract work in school sometimes. And let me tell you, it's kind of a scary thing as somebody who has a mindset of self-defense to be in a situation where I, I know that guns are not allowed. Um, and think through, well, what would I do if there was an attack and realize there's so many hallways and so many different people, um, It's a very vulnerable place to be, and I I really hate that people like myself who carry, who instruct, um, and who are responsible gun carriers are not legally authorized to simply step through that door and carry inside the same way we can carry outside in the sidewalks.
2: And a lot of people are coming out and they're criticizing Governor Abbott, but here's what they don't know about Governor Abbott. Okay, one, he was a judge, and he was also a Texas Supreme Court justice and the attorney general for the state of Texas. Uh, governor Abbott was also organized. He actually organized an amicus brief in support of Heller DC, which was signed by Republican attorneys general generally across the entire country. So there's some, you know, there's some background there to uh, the governor because a lot of people are coming out and criticizing him because of some of the things that he said initially. And we get caught up in the emotions so much, you know, which I understand. And you're afraid that, you know, are we going to come out with gun controls? Because if we come out with some type of gun control, it's going to be from the Republican side. And then that's that's the fact of it. And we saw this happen in Florida. And I totally understand why people don't want that to happen here in Texas. But here's some of the ideas that actually the governor is actually looking at that came out of this meeting this week. And that was he's looking at adding more behavior counseling with increase of staffing at schools. He's looking at creating threat assessment teams. Uh, and Abbott said that the development of a statewide threat assessment program received universal support during the roundtable. He's looking at mandating better coordination between school and law enforcement officials. Uh, we're talking about, you know, having a, a definitely solid plan where that way that law enforcement that's in that area knows the, the teachers that actually are carrying You know and and know who uh, know the teachers period so that way when they do interact with them we don't confuse that teacher or that you know that law enforcement officer you know with the bad guy so that's actually important as well he's talking about implementing implementing strategies that make it easier to share information upgrading physical facilities especially entryways x's and cameras to protect schools because we have too many different interests to uh, the different uh, high schools middle schools high schools Uh, middle schools and elementary schools um what we need to do is have a little smaller entrance maybe less students so that way we can actually you know filter them through and get them in and then lock that school down also there's a problem with complacency where you ring a bell whatever and it just becomes common knowledge that you you know hit the buzzer and the person that's hit it's that's opening the door don't even look up to see actually who's there they've gotten complacent with it so we need to you know maybe start testing the system you know every so often run a test have someone go through and see if they can sneak in or whatever you know we do this with tsa so we need to have some type of checks with our schools and see just how safe some schools are and how unsafe some are uh, creating a statewide intelligence monitoring service concerning social media of students now uh, from the liberty standpoint, I'm kind of worried about that. But if you see something, say, say something.
4: Because I've been through the experience personally. Yeah. Uh, um, no, it was at A and M, and someone posted on Yik Yak. There's going to be a shooting. I was a building over from where that shooting was supposed to be when it was supposed to happen, and I got out of dodge because I was not going to be there completely unarmed. Where a teacher who has spoken against campus carry himself was there, and I was like, I'm leaving. I don't care, and I left because. And they caught the guy. They arrested him, took him because people saw something on Yik Yak and said something went on. And they went back, found the files, and took care of it. Yeah, and this is where community policing comes into play. I don't want
2: the government, you know, creating some system, you know, to spy on me. But we as citizens, if you see something, say something.
5: Yeah, that's what being regulated means. Well-regulated means being self-regulated. We need to be regulating ourselves.
2: And also he's talking about uh, encouraging schools to hire early intervention counselors And starting even as early as kindergarten, certainly elementary school, Uh, because like I said earlier, our elementary schools, our middle schools, they don't have school resource officers. Keep that in mind. The resource officers are at the high school. You know, so our elementary schools, our middle schools are very vulnerable right now. They have no police officer, no protection whatsoever.
3: Don't say oh yeah well just kind of back on that um see something say something uh doesn't always work as well either because we saw with parkland that a lot of people were saying something about this guy and the fbi was too busy uh you know chasing down people for plants and whatnot to take the time to actually look into this so yeah at the end of the day it's not the government's job uh to protect you and they've shown time and time again that it's not necessarily their top priority to protect anybody so what we can do to have those teachers who do carry all the time, they have a vested interest in protecting themselves and the children that they're in care of. So uh, that's going to be a much better solution in my mind than any sort of uh, overreach by the government to try to, you know, in the name of safety and security.
5: And that concept is very difficult at times for people to grasp because it means accepting our own vulnerability. If we can put the put the onus on somebody else to say, well, they're supposed to take care of me and make sure I'm safe, then we, then I personally don't feel like I'm responsible. But if I realize that nobody else actually can a hundred percent guarantee my safety, then maybe I need to take responsibility for it. That that can be scary to acknowledge, and that's a lot to process through. But it's important.
3: Yeah. The whenever if if the question being asked is who is going to protect me, and the answer isn't I will, that's that's a big problem, and that's that's again, yeah. Uh, a difference in uh, the way people view things, but that should be the answer. I will be the one to protect myself.
4: And maybe we need to teach students how to defend themselves in the situations when they are unarmed. Because it may not stop them, but I sh- assure you, if you have 20 people throwing a chair at someone, it's going to at least slow them down enough for people to do something.
5: Which is right back on that mindset attitude, that mindset of it's my responsibility, They're fr- like the teacher in Indiana. I will do what I can, you know, whatever tools I have. And that's that's what is the critical aspect. As you realize it's my responsibility, I, I will give me a fighting chance at it. You know, ha- having armed teachers, having more security, any measures, nothing's going to guarantee safety, but it'll give people a fighting chance to stop a threat.
2: And see, as, as a school in uh, safety instructor, there are some things that we can tell you that you're wearing on you right now that actually can protect you inside of a classroom. There's so many different things that you can do to stop that person from coming into that room. Uh, So, yeah, we need, you know, we need to take those steps to, you know, to actually do that. Um, Also, the problem in Florida at, at Parkland, Broward County school system, when they're in the business of making money and they see kids as dollar signs, then that's part of the problem. And that's why that this kid was not put in the system in the first place, because they saw him as a dollar sign. I need to have that that body in the seat. So I'm not going to you know, they came up with a law or, or rule or whatever that said, you know what, instead of, you know, putting them in the system because they're a problem child, because they're actually breaking the law. We're actually going to you know, we're just going to push them along and, and get them out of the out of school and, and graduate them. And so that definitely becomes a problem. Also, the governor has mentioned uh, hardening our schools to make them physically more secure against school shooters. He's also talked about ensuring school administrators better share information about potentially dangerous students among schools across the state. Um, and that that works well with, you know, instead of that, that kid going from one school to another school and being the same problem. Um, also, mandating co- uh, collaboration between law enforcement and schools to create emergency action plan and creating comprehensive training Informing students, parents, and teachers how to relay information, putting officers at the front of schools, so that way at the beginning of the day, because usually these schools, these shootings happen at the beginning of the day when school starts. It's always you know that very first period, and also boosting funding for school marshal program. And the school marshal program program is actually a little different than the school safety program. The school marshal program is actually put on by the TECOL, uh, the Texas Law Enforcement Academy. Also, increasing parent accountability. That's a big thing. And I want to talk about that when we come back from the break. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It.
7: Folks, this is Doug Mann Jones. And I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Coming Talking.
3: Little boxes on the hillside, little boxes made of ticky-tacky little boxes on the hillside, little boxes all the same.
1: Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking about
2: school safety, and we left off talking about increasing parent accountability and how in the world can a parent either not know about or not be accountable for a situation where a student may be. Bringing a gun or a knife to a school or better yet, building a bomb in the garage. How do you not know your kid's building a bomb, an explosive? Because this guy in in the school in Texas, it wasn't just firearms. It wasn't just a shotgun or the revolver. He also had a pressure cooker and some other things. So how do you not know that your kid's doing this? So I, I, I could definitely see the lawsuits coming if they haven't already started against the parents. Because parenting is definitely a problem.
5: Yes. So so I think there are several levels of this. Um, one level is the culture of life is missing. So the culture of valuing human life, valuing each other's lives, like your fellow classmates, um, is missing from a lot of kids. And people will point the finger at video games. Say, oh, it's all about violent video games. Well, maybe that's a contributing factor, but I don't think that's the reason for it. I, I wish that was the whole cause of it because we can get rid of that really quick it goes a lot deeper and it has to do with with and this is a lot of uh, lieutenant colonel grossman's ideas as well if y'all are familiar with his um where children are taught basically the act of killing without Mm. the morality of protecting life and defending others and standing up for the vulnerable and for the innocent and i believe that culture that our kids are steeped in uh contributes greatly to the to the problem
2: and so and let's go back to Ryan because, you know, mandating parent training, maybe there should be some training, you know, with being a parent because teachers are, are complaining of the fact that, you know, you're just dropping your kids off at school like a daycare and you're you're letting the teachers raise your kids. And when they come home in the evening, you know, you don't want to be disturbed because you've had a rough day at work and you've forgotten the fact that you're supposed to raise your child, your
4: offspring. I don't know how I feel about teacher training. I'm sure you do. Cuz that seems Maybe off. a
5: permit to be a parent. I don't I don't oh. think so. Definitely not.
4: No, granted, I, some people probably do, <laughs> but Hey, hey, this
2: this is number 17 from
4: the the, you know, one of the the things that came out from the governors. But you know, parents are going to be parents, but they need to be parents. You need to be responsible. If so, your kid does something wrong, it's a good chance it's your fault, especially when they're under 18. Some people say, "Hey, it's not the parents' fault." No, you, he was he was he was seventeen years old Hey you, it's not my fault. You raised that child. That is your progeny. You are responsible for it. And really until the day you die, you I mean, are responsible for that child. And here
2: we are here we are this week. It's national news. There's a 30 year old that's actually living at home. His parents had to evict him from the house. And everyone's like, Oh my goodness, you know, this one side's like, this poor guy he's getting evicted from his parents' house, and the other side's like, you know, well, you know, yeah, his parents finally kicked him out, you know, oh well. But you know, I'm thinking, you know what? It's the parent's fault. They brought this on themselves.
5: So, y'all, parenting is hard. I don't even have any of my own kids. I've helped raise other people's kids. Parenting is hard. Um, so I would hesitate for a lot of reasons to say everything a, a kid does at any age is going to be a parent's fault. What I would say is I would hope that we can encourage parents in, and provide support as, as a community, as our friends, um, in helping to raise their kids with a culture of valuing one another, of, of respect and courtesy for humans.
4: Well, and that, Saying it's the parent's fault, this is going back deep, deep psychology. There's a whole lot more to saying it's the parent's fault because there's <laughs> that's a very blatant statement on you're going to mess your kid up in the head. Every parent is going to mess their kid up in the head and it's how they're going to do it and making sure you can help that kid get all the things that you messed them up in the head out of their head. Yeah, that's going to happen. But there's certain things that you're responsible for. But at the same token, that kid is an individual. So there is a lot. I mean, I'm
2: seeing a lot of stuff. I'm seeing stuff you know, where people are saying, you know what? We also should uh, sue the gun manufacturers, sue the gun store where the gun was purchased. But what I don't see, I don't see that same thing when it comes to someone getting charged with DWI or something else. You know, We don't go after that the, the the you know the car dealership we don't go after the manufacturer of the the we
4: vehicle. do go after the bar
2: sometimes no, that's the bar. Yeah. sometimes they yeah they over they over serve them yeah, absolutely but not the liquor store but that's very rare that actually happens and also we don't go after the parents enough on the 46.13 do you know the entire time that 46.13 has been in effect? which is the section of the law that talks about allowing a child access to a firearm, you know, and it, do you know that prosecutors have only used that in the entire time that it's been in effect since 1995 less than 100 times in the state of Texas. Less than
4: 100 times. But this is still it's an oversimplification of a very intertwined problem because there's the whole neurosis side of inherited neurosis from this parents which can go down generations, which does influence the child. And then there's what is the child that is the child perfectly pure and individual. And you can't hold the parent accountable for what is pure and individual for the child. But at the same time, how do you differentiate that?
2: I mean, let's take this 30-year-old, you know, this guy that's living at home. He's been at the house for 30 years. And now his parents finally say, you know what, you got to go. You know, To me, they are the problem. They created they that created, monster. Ex- yes, thank they you. Did.
6: It's all about personal accountability. We've gone too far on this. You know, yes, some people have mental illness, but that doesn't take away the fact that somebody was murdered. It is what it is, but I'm sorry, you need to go to prison or whatever. We're, we've gone too far away from personal responsibility. And I think if, if, if somebody that's not that's under uh, 18 commits a crime, you should have the, the parents held somewhat responsible. They created that monster. If, if you don't know your kids building bombs, you have a real problem you really do. You have a real problem. So
5: I'm going to ask a question, a uh, honest question. Do you feel like as a whole are we are just looking for a scapegoat? We're looking for somebody to blame because if we can pin the blame on somebody, we feel like it makes us feel better about the issue.
2: I I think there're a lot there're a couple things going on. One, you know, people that are anti-gun are looking at, you know, blaming the firearms for it, you know, then other you know, everyone's blaming everyone else except, you know, the parents. I don't think that we're putting
6: that responsibility in their parents enough. They both need to be held accountable. Why do you say that? Well, the do you? parent and the child. I, I don't. If you're 17, come on. I don't. And, and just like I think, what is this kid can't get the death penalty. He can go to prison. It's real technical how they've broken this down. They, they're both at fault, and I think the one that actually commits the crime is more at fault. But the parents need to be held liable as well. But nobody wants to take responsibility. I've been seeing. Uh, A few cases where some parent has left their child in the car for where they died. And then they're saying, there again, they're writing about how the parent was tired. They were this, they were that. They killed their child. That's it. Doesn't need to go any further than that. (laughs) Well,
4: what do you do in the case of these psychopaths that are manipulating their parents or have turned the situation into an emotional abuse of the parents? You know, we don't know the facts because that can happen as well that leads into these situations. You
6: are allowing your child to manipulate you. Mm. Mm. I'm an adult who's of sound mind. I guarantee you nobody's going to manipulate me. I mean, manipulation, everybody likes to use that word in a negative connotation. We're all kind of manipulated each and every day for positive and negative things. But to, to make that extreme, like, I don't think you're... Little child, and let's just even say hypothetically, sixteen, seventeen-year-old child can manipulate you as a parent. Then you're weak, or I don't know what to say about it. But still, accountability. We 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 like to focus on what but caused the that's problem. The que-
4: that's the question I'm asking. What's the solution to that accountability? Not just saying accountability. What mm-hmm. is the solution to that accountability? Like what does it look like? Of, yeah. What does it look like instead of just saying oh accountability? Where where can we even start looking?
5: Like, I, is it is it government enforced? Do you have people from the government coming in to check up on your. You parenting? can
6: be charged mm-hmm. if like if you like in this case, this this young man that killed all these children, his parents should be held liable as well. They should serve some sort of time or w- whatever, not well, just be off scot free. They like I said, if if there's there's. You should know what your child, you're not going to know every single solitary thing, but that's a pretty big deal what he did.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You know, stealing, you know, stealing your parents' firearm, you know, building, you know, whatever you're building inside the house. That's a pretty big thing. You know, that's a product of parents who are not paying attention to their kids, not knowing what's going on with them. You're a parent. That's a very big responsibility you're raising a child this is your offspring this is this person is going to go forth and be a product of your family a product of you and represent your family and your family name and so you're not aware of, of what that person is doing you know and I, I just don't understand that because my mother you know even though I was raised by a single mother she knew exactly what was going on and, and played paid close attention to what was happening with me in school and stuff like that so this is something that I'm just I'm just not understanding at all.
5: And not to end that that conversation, but Governor Abbott would like to hear everyone's opinion as well, not just those who are at the roundtable. And there's a website I posted on the Facebook Live. Mm. It's gov.texas.gov slash school hyphen safety. So if you all have ideas of what you would like to see from the governor, you have input on his suggestions, please give that to him here, there.
2: And what I like to see is him invite, you know, other people to the conversation because what I saw this week, you know, I I saw some people from Texas Gun Sense and I saw some other people, you know, from other places that were invited to the table. And, you know, that kind of bothered me a little bit. Um, Ed Scruggs from Texas Gun Sense laid out his idea. He suggested that a state-based background check system. Uh, and insisted that everyone in Texas wanted this to include universal background checks. And they always say this whenever they're giving their little speech. You know, everyone wants universal background checks, including gun owners. And, and that's a crock of crap. You know, I never talked to any gun owner that I know of that wants a universal background check. You know, and when I explain to people what that actually means is, you know, and the best way I can explain it to you. And I say this all the time when I explain this is that let's remember back when you are in college. Let's say you're in college and you got into a fight with your roommate in college and you were charged and convicted. You would be convicted of domestic violence. That means that you are barred for life from purchasing a firearm from a gun store. Then the only way you can get that gun would be at home. Uh, Well, you can only have it at home and you'd only be able to, you know, to get that as a private sale or a gift. You can only have it at home. You're barred from life from purchasing from a gun store for life. That means that you will never be forgiven uh, for your crime. You can't pay restitution to the state, you know, to get your rights back. And that's the one thing that, you know, that scares me about universal background checks. If I do something and I make a mistake, I get charged with a felony, you know, I'm done forever, for life. You know, what's the purpose of going to jail and paying restitution to the state?
5: I think those are some valid points that should be considered. So, as part of the discussion, what other groups or Individuals or entities do y'all think should be a part of the conversation?
2: There are a lot of grassroots organizations that go to the Capitol every single day that should be included in this conversation. You have Lone Star Gun Rights. You have, um, there's so many different organizations. Open Carry Texas, OCT. Yes. You know, there, there's so many different ones, you know, that should have been brought into the conversation and at least, at least sat down and, and being able to listen to what was going on. And, and that bothers me um, when you, you know, invite... You know some of these other people and you 're hearing their voices, but you 're not hearing the the voices of the grassroots people, the young people you know that are in the pro second amendment community and i 'm bothered by that i 'm sick and tired of seeing the same old white guys discuss gun control because gun control is a racist thing, you know, and this goes all the way back to the 1800s and and, and that 's getting tiring. You know, I don't want my rights to be taken away because they were taken away back in the 1800s because they didn't, some people were afraid that free slaves were going to have access to gun and get re- retribution against their slave master. Exactly. And, and
5: the, the gun ban instituted for that reason is still on the books today in Texas, which is which is terrible. It's shameful. I'm, I'm proud of Texas, but I'm not proud of that piece of Texas history.
2: Right, And so and, and so we need to remember things like that. And, and that's why it's, a, you know, that's why I'm concerned. I'm concerned. Yeah. I'm worried. Because my voice is not there. The voices of so many people are not there
4: to be heard. And bring in multi-partisan because I work with multi- – and I, when I say multi, I mean more than two, more than three, more than four. Bring in multi-partisan voices because I only know one that wants gun control. Hmm. This is Michael Cargill,
2: and you are listening to Come and Talk
7: Chloe on Noir and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill
1: You've made the right choice Talk 1370 Welcome back to Come and Talk It And now here's Michael Cargill All right, so let me ask you this. When has
2: government mandated anything ever worked in this country? (laughs) Think about that for
3: a second. The Uh, government
2: mandating anything, when has it ever worked? I got nothing.
3: Nothing. The solution is never more government because the government's more often than not the reason that we're in the problem in the first place. So throwing more money or giving the the government more power or more scope. Is only going to exacerbate the situation.
2: The government making it making it a gun free zone definitely causes a problem.
3: Yeah,
2: absolutely. Right. So, uh, someone said uh, parents today are afraid of stepping uh, stepping on their kids' privacy. Uh, the mother didn't, you know, someone said their mother didn't care about their privacy at all. Uh, they had to have their bedroom doors open unless uh, they were changing clothes. Uh, She did the laundry. She put away the clothes. She knew what was in the room and she knew that, you know, what was, you know, in the garage and she knew everything about them. So parenting, it goes back to parenting again. And, And that's the same thing with my family. My mother knew what was going on, what was going on in my room and stuff like that. You know, if I told my mother something, it was no surprise to her. You know, she knew this because she knew me. And, and, you know, it, it, like I said, it goes back to parenting and uh, some other things that the governor is suggesting is intervening, intervening with students who have demonstrated challenges, probably through a more robust, robust uh, school counseling process, intervening, intervening into behavior that could lead to school shootings, developing threat assessment programs for all schools in Texas, putting more metal detectors in schools. They work for some schools in other settings. They may not work. The governor said, but it needs to be one of the strategies on the table. And someone else said, and I said it earlier, that in the inner cities where there are metal detectors, they don't have school shootings. Uh, Another thing that the governor has suggested is that identifying mental health challenges for students and helping respond to those challenges and get students the counseling they need. And the last one is creating an app to view streaming video of school security cameras. Why can't we not allow parents, students, and law enforcement and others to be able to monitor basically on a 24-7 basis the cameras in the schools?
6: I, I like that idea.
4: I like that too. I want to go back to the actual counseling and mental health stuff and having that available for the students. What is that? I think all that is is getting counselors back to doing what their job should be instead of all this college prep and everything else stop worrying about that. Worry about making sure the kids are in a sound environment, their minds are functioning, and they can go to you if they need help. And stop worrying about all the college prep. One, because we don't need every kid in college. Hmm.
5: So I'm curious, what can we as private citizens do to help promote school safety or personal accountability and responsibility whether it's in parenting or in a defense mindset? What can we do apart from a government mandate to help our communities?
2: One uh, spend some time with your child. With, you know, if I had a kid, when they came home from school, you know, especially after experiencing this week, you know, how was your day? What's going on with school? Um, I actually would, you know, and I do this with my employees. I monitor everything. You know, I can monitor, you know, every computer in my building. I can log into every computer and see what you know what is being watched on that computer. And so, you know, it's almost like I'm a parent. You know, but I'm a parent at work, you know, that runs a business. So there's no, you know, and, you know, it's being the parent of the business owner, you know, that is my property. And if you choose to open up your Facebook, you know, on my computer, then I'm going to be able to see what's there. And so being, you know, that business owner or that parent, you you should, you know, you should look at that stuff and see what your kids are doing. Uh, Just like I see, you know, what my employees are doing on that company time, because that there is my time and you know you're a parent you know all of their time is yours so i don't see anything wrong with you know with monitoring them and see what's going on and asking them and talking to them and see how their day was anybody else
6: Zach? no i i would agree with all that i i love the app idea um i have cameras in my store and when i'm not there i can sit from anywhere hit the app on my phone and i can see what they're doing in my store and I think that, that that's a great tool to have. There's so much technology today. Like, you can have, there's apps that you can get to know where your kid is every minute. Uh, that's when, when my daughter was growing up. I, I got her a phone when she was in middle school, not because I wanted her to be cool, but because I wanted access to her all the time. As she went with friends, I wanted it to be able to find her. Um, parents, it's easier now than ever to know what your children are doing. I don't understand why there's any any lapse in not knowing what they're doing.
2: And that's a good business proposal for someone that's out there. You can create an app so that way parents can actually monitor uh, their their kids cell phone and they can see what's going on with them and what's happening. So they know if they're being bullied or being the bully, Mm -hmm. because there's some issues going on with this, this school in Texas with this kid, you know, because you just don't walk into a school and shoot and kill people for no reason. That just does not happen. So there's something going on that just we're not aware of. There, someone's not willing to talk about it. It's all hush hush, and, and and people just not willing to admit that something's going on here. And it, it could be someone was bullied or being bullied, you know, or the
6: bully. So it's happened. it's about being a very involved parent. A real quick story I can say: my daughter, when she was in in uh, high school, she was on MySpace. That was the popular one mm. at the time. And she, I saw her at the dinner table, very frustrated, and I asked her, what's going on? And she said, there's this girl that I don't even know her. She's always saying, like messaging me on MySpace, saying really ugly things to me. And I'm going to like make myself look bad here. And I said, oh, really? Let me see. I'll say something to her. And my daughter looked at me and she said, absolutely not. I'm not going to stoop to her level And I I looked at her and I said, wow, you have character that I have not seen in, in very many people at all. And I applauded her for that. But there was that engagement. There's so many parents that don't even know that their kids are being bullied or that their kid is being the bully. And there again, you go back to parenting, knowing what your kid's doing.
7: Yeah, parents have to be more responsible. These kids, they don't deserve privacy from their parents. They shouldn't be able to do these things behind their parents' backs. Parents need to step up.
5: Kids need guidance. They need mentoring. They're not ready to make uh, all their own life decisions and figure out how to deal with people and, and yeah. deal, navigate relationships with schoolmates and everything on the, on their own. And they need that mentoring and that
6: involvement.
7: They need to be shaped and molded with positive role models. Yeah. And the parents are, you know, the, the role model of all role models for their kids.
3: Yeah, I think that's kind of back to your question of what we can do as private citizens is be that example of what it is that we're talking about and be that uh, good parent that's involved in their kids' lives. Be that involved with your kids' friends when they come over so their friends see, you know, that same type of mentality. Uh, be responsible for your house and your belongings, including your firearms. Knowing, you know, where they are, who, you know, how somebody may gain access to it, ensuring that they're secure uh, at all times because it's also your responsibility as a responsible gun owner. So being that person that we're wanting to see, show that example to others.
4: I don't really have anything to say. They've covered it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and so you asked uh, Rachel earlier, you know, what people would do. You know, what would you suggest we do as far as school safety?
5: As far as school safety? Um, take away the regulations that prohibit people who have a defensive mi- def- uh, mindset of self-defense from accessing the tools that could better help them to defend themselves and the people in their care. So right. teachers, volunteers, whoever comes in there, removing the barriers to that defensive tools.
2: All right. And, hey, and, and we'll leave it at that. You know, Memorial Day is a time to remember that the American way of life is not cheap, but rather has been purchased by the lives and blood of so many who have sacrificed for us to live free and happily. Now, as always, more guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill.